You're listening to The Catch on Blog Talk Radio with your host, John Fisher. On today's episode, John invites Oz Guinness to the show. Oz Guinness is an author and social critic. He's the great-great-grandson of Arthur Guinness, the Dublin brewer. He was born in China in World War II, where both his parents and grandparents were medical missionaries. Oz has written or edited 30 books on a wide range of themes. On today's episode, John will be discussing with Oz his latest book, The Global Public Square, Religious Freedom and the Making of a World Safe for Diversity. It's available through InterVarsity Press. Let's join the conversation in progress. John, I think we're in, and Marty too, I think we're, I call it an Augustinian moment. Augustine, St. Augustine, had the privilege and responsibility of living at the end of Rome's 800 years of dominance. And, you know, he was alive when Rome was sacked by the Visigoths. And we, in our generation, we have the same privilege and responsibility of living at the end of 500 years, not 800, of Western dominance. Hmm. And we're in a world, the world that our grandfathers and so on knew, is gone. And we've got wow. to, Augustine adapted to that world and laid down a vision in books like The City of God, which were a bridge that went into and across the Dark Ages until the rise of Christendom. And who knows the world that's coming? We don't know. But we've got to live with such faith in the Lord and such vision and courage that we mm. lay down in our time a roadway in which the next generation can go in with courage and hope into whatever comes in the, in the next generation. Yeah, I, I'm still with you, Oz. I'm, I'm sorry, Johnny, but I just that I think that your book, which I have not, as far as Jonathan, that's, what, in my opinion, what you're speaking about. And I look at the generation behind us and the one my son is in, who's 17, who's 14, um, they, they are exploring. They, they, they have the Internet to themselves and can, can find whatever they want to in regards to um, searching for the truth. But, but they're used to, quote-unquote, being in a public square where there's a debate, and, and it's not a Christian group, and it's not a Muslim group, and it's not a whatever group. It is, it is a group of people that are interested in a topic that are discussing it. And so my guess is that your book is right on. I think that maybe it's us old folks who are in a way. Yeah, no, as followers of Jesus, as we enter the public square, one, we've got to have a strong faith and not capitulate to all the, say, politically correct pressures we have today. But two, we have to have a very thoughtful faith that throws out constructive answers. That's what I try to do, not just criticizing what's wrong, but constructive ways forward. And three, we've got to have Christians who are persuasive. In other words, you can't just preach, and you're not doing this, but too many Christians are preaching, picketing, protesting, pronouncing, but they're not being persuasive of making arguments to atheists or to extreme radicals or to people who don't share our assumptions at all. So that that need to be persuasive is a key part as we enter the public square. Yeah, I just read I read from your from your book today. We need to learn to explain our position in terms that others who may hold a different position will understand. Um, I, I've always felt that that we need to learn how to do that. But that that means that means listening, and it means actually learning how other people think and and uh, you know studying who they are and. Uh, you know, almost learning their language. Isn't that right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, uh, Paul talks about being a Jew to the Jews, a Gentile to mm-hmm. the Gentiles. And today we've got to be 
you know, the, we're Chinese to the Chinese, and we've got to be postmodern to the postmodern, you know, and so on and so on. Uh, we got you, you're absolutely right. Learn the language. Whereas, go back to the Christian right again. You know, in '75, when moral majority was launched, they talked about the sleeping giants woken up, and we can take back the levers of power. And they always talked about power. We get our people in office, then we can turn the country around. But there was never any persuasion or recognition. Mm. America is an incredibly diverse place today. And much of the attitude, I call it the ABC mentality, anything but Christianity. In other words, they're fed up with us. Yeah. We have let our Lord down. So we've got to live Christianly and then show a fresh argument out in the public square. Yeah, I, I, I remember I could never understand when, when Christians were getting in, in, in the public or, or in, you know, from politics or, or who knows what platform, but uh, say abortion or marriage or something, and, uh, uh, you know, preaching at people from the Bible, you know, yeah. as, if, as if everybody respected the Bible and what was in it. And uh, I they, think they you know don't. they don't. So, but if yeah, if it's the truth, we should be able to argue from from justice or from law or from common grace or from some other standpoint. Should we not? Exactly. Oh, absolutely. You're you're spot on. And sadly, yeah. the best voices on many of the modern issues you listen to say Dennis Prager down in L.A. or uh, Rabbi Sachs in London. The best, many of the best times, the best voices are Jewish voices, because they know mm. the Jews are a tiny minority, so they have to be persuasive with good ideas, and we've ah. sort of rested on our majority status, which is ebbing away all the time, and we wow. need to recover persuasion. We can't use power. Our Lord didn't use power, and we've got to copy yeah. the incarnation, copy the cross, and really be subversive and use persuasion. You know that's that. I'm trying to get my arms around your statement a little while ago about Augustine. This is Augustinian time, mm-hmm. and from the standpoint, from the standpoint that, you know, I, I I thought you were going to talk about America like 200 years, but you said no, 500 years. In other words, Western thought going back to Europe. In other words, we are losing our hold now. We, and I don't think I don't think many people in America. Christian or not, realize that. No, I think they do. don't. No, I, the, the way I put it, John, is and, you know, there's an incredible... I travel many parts of the country. I sadly haven't been to your part for a while. Um, <laughs> but, you know, many people in the Christian church is doom and gloom. The statistics are bad. We're in decline. Mm. You know, there's mm. a defeatism around. And I remind people, you know, we've had... We are the a product of two earlier missions to the West. The first was the conversion of Rome. 300 years, an incredible achievement under the Holy Spirit that the church's faith replaced the faith of mighty Rome. But when the Western Empire fell, so did the Western Church in in large part. And the Dark Ages were incredibly dark. And the second mission to the West was the conversion of barbarians in Europe. And we're living at the twilight end of that but instead of the gloom and doom, we've got to get Christians to say, we want to win our Western world back to our Lord again. Not that the mm. West is anything special, but it's, it's our Jerusalem. It's our part of the earth. And we want to win it back to the Lord. 
and, and win it back to him, not by political means and not by a great cultural crusade, no, but by winning right. people to faith in Jesus so that together we can live the way of Jesus, which we know will make an incredible difference. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of, a, of the, the public square. Um, it's a term you use a lot. Uh, is it something we can define at all? No, no, very good question. If you think of the public square, obviously the idea goes back to Athens and the Greeks. And many people have been to Athens and seen the Acropolis, but not realized that the the agora, as the Greeks put it, not the marketplace, which you used earlier, but the public square is the place where citizens came together to debate and then decide the issues of common public life. And later Rome had the forum. In, in England, we have Westminster. In France, they have the Assemblée, and here you have Capitol Hill and the Congress. Now, that is a, they are all physical places. Then, over time, it became a metaphor. So the op-ed pages of the L.A. Times or a talk show mm. like yours, if you have people phoning in, that is a metaphor for the public square because citizens can debate things in common. But now we've shifted from the physical to the metaphorical to the virtual. And if you take the lesson and say what happened in response to the Danish cartoons or Pope Benedict's speech at Regensburg University, the lesson today is even when we're not speaking to the world, the world can hear us and the world can respond because the public square is now going virtual. So what we have is, is rudimentary, very rudimentary. But it's, it's real and it's beginning. We've got to work out how we debate these issues in the age of the Internet. I mean, you and I could say something incredibly rude about, say, Islam tonight in the next five minutes, mm -hmm. which would be yeah. very inflammatory, and, you know, people could organize and put your program out of business. Mm -hmm. And you can see this is the age of the virtual public square, and we've got to figure out if we want to have freedom and justice and real discourse, what it means to debate. Wow. Um, what would you... Uh, oh gosh, my mind is just going so fast. Um, the what? What would you use? Soul freedom. I love that term. Um, can you talk about soul freedom just a little bit, and uh, how we can, you know, how we can help uh, uh, champion soul freedom for for all people? Not. I, I think that's what you're saying. Uh, Absolutely. Well, soul freedom is Roger Williams' term. He called it soul liberty. And I used it because it's a fresh term, because you think the old term religious freedom is easily distorted. So Obama's administration talked for two years about freedom of worship. That is not religious freedom. The Europeans talk about freedom of thought, conscience, religion, and belief. In other words, it includes secular worldviews, too. And if you read the Universal Declaration, there are four things there that are protected. The right to adopt a faith, the right to practice or freely exercise a faith, the right to share a faith, what he was talking about on the plains earlier. Now, you know, in parts mm -hmm. of the world, that, in, in universities, that would be proselytism and politically incorrect. And the fourth very key thing is the right to change your faith. Now, here mm -hmm. we are opposed to Muslims because... In Islam, you're allowed to convert 
to Islam, you're not allowed to convert from Islam. And you can see people have had the death penalty in countries like um, Pakistan. So those four things are there in religious freedom or freedom of thought, conscience, religion, and belief. And the key thing is they flourish when they're granted to everybody. It's not some people's rights, but everybody's rights. And that's the challenge today. And Roger Williams very interestingly said, when people are out of power, manage to get in power, they behave differently. And the way he put it, he talked about the ship of state. He said those who are under the hatches, when they get to the helm, hatches and helm, they behave differently. That's the problem with the gay extremists now. They were oppressed. And now they're almost, in effect, oppressing others. Because, you know, mm -hmm. you have in the White House today, Hyde Feldblum, she says gay rights are a zero-sum game. Mm -hmm. Any right that contradicts her rights has to go. Well, she's undercutting all rights by that kind of zero-sum scorched-earth mentality. And we've got to mm -hmm. say to the gay, it's not all gays, the gay extremists. You were under the hatches, you're now at the helm. You mustn't deal with other people the way the way other people dealt with you. In other words, we've got to really figure out what freedom of conscience means for everybody. Wow, what a challenge. Uh, I, 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 I was very interested in your discussion in your, in your book about this, this very issue, and I, I, I noticed you made a difference there between civil rights and human rights. And uh, I thought that was really good in that context. You know, not everyone agrees with that, but technically, and certainly from a Christian standpoint, human rights are rights that are inherent in people being human. In other words, mm -hmm. that humans have those rights as opposed to, to, say, animals. Whereas civil rights are not human rights. They're not inherent in people being human. It's just that they're recognized by certain societies. Now, when a right clashes with a right... They should be negotiated. There should be what's called reasonable accommodation. No right should just arbitrarily override other rights. And that's gay rights in many of American states are now civil rights. And the 51% and so yeah. on agree to that. That's democratic. We've got to accept that. But they shouldn't override a human right like freedom of conscience. Otherwise, they're just undermining all rights and just saying these aren't really rights. They're just a matter of power. And it's a power game. Well, that's very dangerous. Yeah. And, and how do we do this, Oslo? I mean, how do we how do we respect the, the civil rights of, of gays and lesbians um, while at the same time, you know, not giving up our own human rights? Oh, absolutely. I, John, I, one way I put it to Christians is we're in a Samuel moment. You remember in 1 Samuel... The Israelites rejected Samuel as judge, and they wanted a king, like everyone else. And Samuel was very offended. And the Lord says to Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And the Lord says, take them at their word, respect their choice, but warn them the consequences of the choice. And Samuel gives that great speech, and he warns what kings will do to Israel. And, of course, what he says comes true. But at the end of it, it basically he says... This is your choice. These will be your consequences. And he warns them. And we've got to do that with our culture today. If you reject one man, one woman marriage, which has been the human way for thousands of years, no country in history has legitimated 
same-sex marriage. There have been people who have done it, but it's never been legitimated by any country. And we've got to say, look, this is your choice. These will be the consequences. Spell them out sociologically and so on. But then Samuel finishes by saying, as for me, God forbid that I stop doing what I'm called to do. In other words, the Hmm. culture may go that way. We can't stop them if they choose to. We can warn them, but then we've got to live differently. And the tragedy now is the church isn't. We're not really different from the culture. Yeah. We're we're just trying to fight the same battle at the same place, right? We're, we're, We're trying to fight against their civil rights with our civil rights. Is that what no, you would that, say? Yeah, well, that, that's part of the Trump problem. And we're not, problem. As, as you and I were saying earlier, we're not being persuasive. Too much of it is right. the Bible says or whatever. You know, Paul right. preaches, you know, say St. Paul, when he's in the synagogue, he preaches in the Old Testament, the Torah. When he's on Mars Hill, he, he preaches from Cretan poets and so on, the Stoic poets. And we've got to have that same flexibility, whoever we're speaking to, we can be persuasive speaking to where they are. Mm. Mm. But Oz, to do that, you've got to be smart. We've got to be smarter than we are. How, how no, I mean, can that, we... That's true, John, but it's not a question. You know, Peter says in the famous verse in 1 Peter 3.15, be always ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. And you know the word reason there mm-hmm. is the word apologia. In other words, we're talking about apologetics. Mm-hmm. Sadly, apologetics is sort of left to the eggheads at, say, Biola University and the William Lane Craigs and the brilliant philosophers, whereas Peter's saying every follower of Jesus should be able to do that. You've got to recover the persuasiveness mm-hmm. of a straightforward apologetics. Schaefer was brilliant at that. Yeah, he was. And and that that's what we were, we were both talking about at the beginning of this show, how, you know, how excited we were uh, to first to first run into what Francis Schaeffer was teaching us to do. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just I just don't see, I mean, I wonder if you have any ideas how we, how we can get people excited about this again. How, how do we get people excited about thinking beyond just what we think as Christians? I mean, it's like I, it's, it, so many Christians don't even go beyond what I believe. Um, like that's mm-hmm. the only thing I really care about. Um, well, obviously, but I, I got to know. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm no, done. obviously, <laughs> you're doing this already. We ourselves have <laughs> got to be excited about it. But then we've got to seize what you might call the teachable moments. In other words, if people are set in their ways, they're not open to anything new or fresh. But when their way, whether it's an idea or a way of life, when it fails and they hit their heads against the wall, there's a teachable moment and people can be challenged to rethink. And oh, I think great. we're at such a moment today. After 30 years of, the, say, the Christian right I talked about earlier, it's a mm-hmm. massive failure. So many Christians mm-hmm. are saying there must be a better way. And so we, we've got to be excited, passionate, persuasive ourselves. But we've got to yeah. grab these teachable moments and get people to rethink. This is not the end of the world. This is not gloom and doom. We can win back the West for our Lord. And we've got to start wow. in our own small circles and so on and so on. Oz, you are you are our new mentor for the catch. <laughs> I have to tell you, this is so good, so good. And that was John Fisher with Oz Guinness. 
We'd like to thank you for listening to the podcast. We'd also invite you to join John Monday through Friday at catchjohnfisher.wordpress.com for the daily catch post. You can also sign up to receive it by email. You can also follow along at Facebook. But like our page at facebook.com slash the catch, as well as tweet with us at fishback, F-I-S-C-H-B-A-C-K. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, we'll see you then. Let the spirit-